0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reimagining Work From Within. My name is Anique Coffey, a partner based in London, part of our UK, and Europe hub here at Within People. And today I am joined by AJ, and we're really excited to kind of dig into some things that we've been talking about a lot lately around our employee experience, specifically about how we can bring flexibility to our culture. But before we dive in, I want to introduce AJ. He is an out-of-the-box radical hybrid who's obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and employee experience. A current three-time founder, startup advisor, HR tech advisor, executive, and proud son. His rise within the world of HR and entrepreneurship is one that is definitely not typical, but his focus and dedication to putting employees first drives him to help forever change the world of work. AJ's currently working on a brand that will hopefully forever change the world of work, E1B2 Collective, which is a collective of brands and practitioners designed to make substantial employee experience within the world of startups and small brands. So welcome, AJ. Thanks for being here. I appreciate
1: here. it. And I probably have to change that back in. We're starting to get into some big enterprise companies finally, so that's fun too. But you no, know, that was it was, a, it was a great intro. Thank you
0: exciting great to have some another growing company with us that's amazing thanks for being here we've been having so many beautiful conversations behind the scenes and finally we're here to take the conversation to the real world and it's been really joyful to kind of talk to you and that multi-hyphenate that came through really strongly in your bio is very very much how i would describe you you're an expert in lots and lots of different things which is pretty cool But today we're gonna really be talking about flexibility and how to bring flexibility to our culture, as we mentioned. And we're gonna kind of think about that through a little bit of a unique way when we think about diversity and how we kind of respond to the needs on our team in a flexible way. And so one of the questions we kind of asked you was, as a leader yourself, but also the leaders you're surrounded with that are part of your collective, how are you and how are they understanding the diversity of needs on their team? and how they can respond. So we kind of have a bit of a conversation here mapped that's going to be really fun to go through that kind of walks us through like what's needed to understand and how can we respond as a leader? Yeah. Sound good? sounds amazing. Amazing. So I think one of the first things we talked about was getting really clear on the foundation of really checking in. Does your organization believe in diversity and difference? Does it actually, is that what actually drives growth? So maybe you could help us understand that a little bit. Like, how would we know if that's a really core held belief that we have, that it's difference and diversity that actually helps us grow?
1: First and foremost, I made a statement yesterday that I, it was was in the heat of the moment, so I won't say it as bluntly as I said yesterday, but I want to kind of paraphrase it a bit. Don't know at a human level if globally everyone is ready to respect the elements of diversity that I think we are trying to push here. We have to be very thoughtful about where individuals come from and their backgrounds and how how long they potentially have been ingrained in certain elements of racial divide, certain elements of doing certain things one way, and then that's how they were taught, that's how they were raised, that's what they did when they first got their, their first internship, their first job, and as they progressed in their career. And I don't think... Human beings at a psychology level are, res- are respecting that enough. I know I haven't, and, I, and I'm starting to learn that. And I think anyone that's focusing on DE&I at an executive level, or anyone that's focusing on just diversity broadly across the organization, you have to realize and understand that at, at a human being level. And actually, that seeps into like your relationships, right? With your partners, with your children. You have to realize and understand where individuals come from how they're comfortable doing things. And that change management process is a very difficult one that takes a lot of patience, that takes a lot of empathy, that takes a lot of nuance. You can't drive that initiative, that effort home aggressively. I think there's a significant uproar of companies, leaders, practitioners, blogs, PR, people trying to push this diversity issue to the forefront, which I love and I appreciate, but it's a difficult one if, if you're not again, comfortable with that change or ready for that change. So that's kind of just an overall setting of the of the tone, if you will. But to see a little bit deeper yeah. beyond that, I want to kind of highlight on how companies need to realize the true business impact from diversity. Um, I think diversity blends into workflows. I think diversity can blend into marketing and product. I think diversity obviously can blend into how you recruit and and organize and align your teams and obviously can blend into diversity of thought, perspective, it can blend into many many factors. I mean, we could rattle off, again, prior to this official recording, you were talking about it, there's many categories. And so I think I'll start and then I'll pause here to see if you have any feedback on this, but I think we have to start there and reposition the conversation around diversity and focus on the business outcomes first and look at some of those pillars that I just listed off and many more, because that's, that's the point of view that everyone can get behind, right? Everyone can get behind how diversity can impact business. Everyone can get behind how diversity can impact being more productive. Everyone can get behind how diversity can impact driving a more effective bottom line. Not everyone can get behind the color, the gender, the, the other elements of diversity, and And it's not that I, I don't want to talk about that, and I know this isn't technically the, the, the conversation of today, but just broadly again, I think if we can just reposition or repackage that focus and, and start there and understand that, then I think we, we can we can have a really thoughtful conversation. So I'll pause there because I have a lot more to say about that, but
0: Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to think about it and frame it like there's obviously all the intersectionality and the difference that we all bring and there's ways to categorize that in intelligent and not so intelligent ways but i think what we're kind of talking about here is around like diversity and difference from the perspective of of intersectionality at a bigger scale like a higher context level but also like diversity yeah. of thought difference in like creativity all of that difference is that is kind of more what we're talking about rather than like the race and gender and sexual orientation today so that's a really helpful frame and i think it's funny because you said everyone can get behind that but i'm not i'm not sure that's totally Mm. true like sometimes we experience clients who we never, we're not in the business of convincing people that difference in diversity is what drives growth. We we won't convince anyone of that. If you don't already believe it, then that's where we'll, we'll start if you already believe it. But I think the question that I'm always holding there is like, who will fly this flag and own that? Like, it can't just be the responsibility of a DEI leader. Like all leaders need to get behind this and believe that difference in diversity is what is going to help us grow. So what can you say more about that and like how you've come across that before?
1: Yeah. So I've actually run up against that a lot with my own companies and the companies that we've supported where, again, kind of going back to the original theme, a lot of these leaders and practitioners grow up doing certain things a certain way. So for instance, maybe there's a leader in marketing or in sales or BD, business development, where when they got their first internship, they were led by a leader that was a one-way Type of individual, this is how we do things. this is you know, a, a top-down approach, and this is how we're going to go about these initiatives, new ideas, don't want to hear them, like, you know, so diversity of thought was yep. not something they were accustomed to. So again, kind of going back to the original theme, and I'll move on past that, but I do want to like kind of lock in on that that we we do have to have empathy around where individuals come from, and starting there can begin the change management process. But I do agree with you that on the client side, and frankly, on the, the people that I hire and that I partner with, I don't really have any energy to do the change management process at times. I'm in the middle, though. I, I've realized that there is value there. But to get a little bit more directly focused in assuming someone is open to hearing about the importance of diversity of thought and how that can impact the business, I think I get into, like, for example, workflows. Like, Let's go down that. Like, I think what I've realized in my career is everyone has a different way of getting things done. And I appreciate and love the leaders that are more focused on the outcomes, not necessarily the road of how you got to that outcome. And and, and that is something that I've worked a lot with my own leaders and a lot of leaders that I support and that I, I appreciate, where we need to look at how someone wants to do something, have a 90-minute conversation, 30-minute conversation, and just open up the books and say, look, here's how I would probably appreciate you doing it. But- I want to learn a little bit more about how you've done it in your past role or how you're open to doing it and and looking at the, the difference there and trying to find a nice blend between how the org and how the department wants to structure things, but how that individual may want to make different tweaks and adjustments. I see this happen in sales teams all the time where sales leaders may be comfortable doing cold calls, may be comfortable doing email reach outs cold, but maybe there's a younger demographic and some newer individuals in the sales force that are like, I'm not doing a cold call. It's 2023. I'm not doing a cold email. I'm really great at Instagram. I'm really great at Twitter. I'm really great at LinkedIn. I'm really great at finding some online communities and being a part of the community and having organic conversations. So the workflow of how they got to having the sales meeting and closing the deal may be very different than their leader. But that leader, from the advice that I'm giving, needs to be open to to looking at those differences, looking at those changes, and be able to make that adjustment and not And not have ego tied into that adjustment right so so that's more of a tangible example of how i think that shows up in business
0: yeah that's a really cool way to bring it back to flexibility like connecting it to the outcomes so if leaders are really good at showing us where we want to go showing us the outcome they want to see how can they exercise flexibility with their team and letting them take the route that they need to take based on their difference and their diversity and their intersectionality to get to the outcome that we want to see so that patience and flexibility is what leaders can really bring to deeply understand diversity on their and,
1: team. And I'll, and I'll give one more point about it too. Leaders listening, you want your team members to be comfortable in the work that they're doing to be able to get the outcome that you want at a business level. I think too many leaders are trying to hire everyone that looks and feels and works like them. And when you find a way to start to hire different types of individuals that have a different workflow, it makes no sense to try to force them into the workflow that you are accustomed to because they're gonna be uncomfortable and they're not gonna be productive. They're not gonna be efficient. They're not gonna be engaged. They're not gonna believe in, in the best practices in the, in the inner workings of how to get the job done. And so it makes a lot of sense to have those 30 minute, 60 minute, 90 minute conversations and just hear them out around how they wanna go about things. And, and obviously hold them accountable, make sure that the plan and the roadmap is, is competent, is thoughtful, is nuanced, is detailed. But as long as they check all those boxes, give them a chance, give them that, give them that, that rope, if you will, to, to, to understand how they're going to inevitably get things done. And 90 days out, if it doesn't work out, if the way that they've decided to try to put things in place, didn't go well, then obviously you have, you have some tweaks and adjustments to do, but at least give them that grace to make those changes.
0: Hmm. I like that. We're talking a lot on like the individual level and how to kind of like lead and manage on an individual level. I wonder if we can bring it back to maybe like a bit more of the organizational level a bit and think about it in like a bigger context way around our culture. We understand what we mean by diversity in the frame of this conversation, but how can someone actually understand what diversity means in their culture? Because everyone's going to have different levels of difference and diversity, right? So what are some ways we can kind of get that clarity about what diversity means to us?
1: Well, let me throw it back to you since we're talking at the organizational level, um, Let's like more directly define that because I could give you multiple answers. So from, from the organizational standpoint, are you saying what diversity means as a stamp of the company? Are you saying how diversity can be blended into individual teams or what the policy is going to be? Like, what, like, what are your thoughts there? How, which, which direction would you like me to go? Because there's a lot of different elements we could go.
0: Yeah, I think if we're thinking about where we can bring flexibility into our yeah. culture, we can only be really flexible with the unique individuals that mm-hmm. are on our team, if we understand who they are and what difference they're mm-hmm. made up of. So I wonder as a leader, if we were, and you are, if you think about some of the teams that you have, have you ever kind of done an exercise to get clarity on like, what is the difference in diversity in our culture so that we know how to respond to the needs
1: within our team? Yeah, so, and and I hate to bring it back to the individual, but that but that is a little bit more of my personal approach, right? So. I'll give you more of a grand example, right? So if I'm a CEO of a company and I have 15, 20 different teams that are led by those, those leaders of those teams, direct level, you know, VP, C-suite level, I'm taking those managers. Frankly, I'm mandating those, those managers and those directors to go to those teams of five, six, and seven, and, and really honestly have those one-on-one conversations. So a lot of my style and, and capabilities are what some would say not scalable. But I believe scaling the unscalable is actually the way to do things, right? So that's what I would personally do. And that's what I've done. I've I've told my leaders, like, you need to go to the team of seven individuals that you lead. And you need to have 15 to 20 minute conversations with each. But then look at the trends. Look at the themes. Because each individual is going to say similar things or going to have a similar point of view around diversity and what diversity means for them. Because for that individual, there's diversity in how they want to get work done. There's diversity of communication. There's diversity of just overall thinking of a the perspective. There's a diversity of how they wanna bring and generate new ideas. There's a diversity of where they all wanna go with their careers. And so I believe, I want all of my managers to know the unique individual diverse themes for every single person and, and document that information. So use your HRI systems, use use a, a Google doc, do whatever you gotta do. I mean, there's we will not have to get into the, the technology of it, but you should know as a manager, Across an entire organization, so every single manager, every single director, every single VP, every single C-suite should have a really deep, comprehensive understanding of what diversity means for every single individual across multiple themes, and they should be able to open up their computer at any given point, be able to look at that data, understand that data, and hold their leaders accountable to that data. Um, so that's kind of right. what I've done to try to to try to scale it out, but also keep it very individual.
0: Yeah, I like that. Like what I'm hearing you say is there's a listening exercise that needs yes. to happen at an individual yeah. level. That is the responsibility of our leaders. And it's because they're in service of their people. And that's part of their leadership responsibility is to get to know them on in an individual level and take like a really full audit. Like what are the different needs of our people and how can we use that? And I think when we originally talked, we talked a little bit about some of the cultural rituals to support this and kind of keep it alive. Like the manual of me or the guide to working with me like this stuff doesn't have to just live on that Google spreadsheet like you're talking about right like these can be part of like the cultural connections that we keep alive and keep the door open on and that keep us connected do you have any other kind of rituals that you could recommend to leaders so that they once they understand the diversity on their team how they can keep bringing that back in and really honoring the difference that we have on our team? Yeah, so
1: once they do the original deep dive to understand, I'm a big fan of checking in every 90 days, every four months to see if there's any tweaks to those categories, right? So are there any tweaks to how you want to go about decision-making, your influence and your desire, your input around decision-making, any tweaks to the workflow, any tweaks to your career desires, any tweaks to communication? I mean, there's a bunch of different categories that we can touch on, but are there any tweaks to them? Right. Let's have a conversation again every four months, every three months. Let's see if there's any tweaks. Let's see if there's any adjustments that need to be made. I also like to, as as the leader of the company, I want to go to all the employees. That can be done in surveys. That can be done in one on one conversations again. That can be done in a fireside chat where I want the employees to be honest and to be vulnerable and to be real about, hey, my manager is not living up to supporting and respecting my diverse needs. My leader. You know, we've done the deep dive, we've done the 90 minute conversation. They know my desires. They know where I stand as it pertains to diversity for me exclusively, but I don't feel like we're living up to that. And then as a leader of a company, I need to look at that data and I need to make thoughtful decisions on whether this leader needs to remain a leader. If we need to do some leadership training, if I need to have a a very thorough, sometimes intense conversation with that leader to understand what the differences are and why why they're not kind of diving into that contextual theme and nuance. So to make it simple, again, every 90 days, I like to check in, but on both sides. So I want to check in from the leader. I want to check in on the employee. And I want to make sure what we agreed to is actually being carried out. And if it's not being carried out, what are the reasons why? What are the themes? How can we make adjustments and tweaks?
0: I really like that. Because we talk a lot when we think about employee experience of it being like a bi-directional relationship. Like or are making promises to each other. It's not the power dynamic in the workplace culture has really shifted. It's people and employees are also in power, not just yeah. the leaders. And bringing that agreement, that shared agreement of we're in this together, even into these conversations around flexibility and difference and diversity feels really right. Like ask the right questions, leave the door open for processing and keep the door open. But what I'm hearing you say is like you have to actually take action just leaving, like having the conversation once is not enough. Like we need to keep bringing this back, keep the door open. And, and there's psychological safety that needs to get created with that, right? Yep.
1: You know, it has to be documented. It has to be tracked. It has to be data that you can, that you can refer to, but then also, and you made a good point on the psychological safety element. In order to even get the most out of those 90 minute conversations, that employee has to feel psychologically safe with that leader. That leader and that employee has to feel psychologically safe with me as the entire leader of the, of the company or the department, whatever the case is going to be. And so to be able to get to psychological safety, most times, more often than not, an individual showing an interest in someone's diverse set of needs is going to create that psychological safety, typically, right? Because most professionals have never had that ever. Like most professionals have never had a leader go to them and say, here are 15 different categories of how to get work done here. Tell me how you want to do and and live and experience each and every one of these categories. And let's just have a 90 minute, 60 minute conversation about them. Most professionals are going to sit back and they're going to be in kind of that weird, like uh moment. Like I've had that happen. They're like, they don't (laughs) even know how to respond initially. You know, I I had a moment with my wife where I did that with her because she was unhappy with, with her, with her manager at work. And the first 20 minutes of the conversation She was giving some nervous smiles and looking around and didn't know how to respond. She's never in her life had a leader ask her, what do you want? How do these little tiny micro elements of getting the work done? And what tweaks would you like to make to make you feel more comfortable, but also productive? So that in itself should take the the edge off and should create some of that psychological safety. But here's what a lot of companies mess up. They do that. They create that that humanistic feel. To your point, then they actually don't change. They're not holding their leaders and managers accountable to that work. They're not, they're not readjusting the leaders and managers. They're not training the leaders and managers, and they're not going back to those employees and say, how are things going based off of what we decided to put in place? Do you feel like we've respected your diversity? Do you, do we feel like we have done our part to make the adjustments in the suites that are needed more often than not? It's the one conversation. And then that's it for the next six, seven, eight, nine, 12 months. And that's where employees get pissed off. And that's where psychologically safety takes a reverse effect. That's where they start to get very insecure, upset, and feel like they don't want to say anything.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're speaking a lot about how important these conversations are with leaders and how we create the psychological safety. I really like your call out on the 90-day cadence because that feels quite actionable and there's some accountability Mm -hmm. there. But how else can we kind of keep these conversations going? And what's the importance of continuing to have these conversations with your leaders and your team?
1: Yeah. So the, the importance of continuing to have the conversations, because unfortunately, leaders also get very busy, right? And so they may forget, they may not have the right systems in place. Um, I, another another actually thing that just popped in my brain, Real, the honest real reason why I like to consistently have these conversations because... We have to remember that leaders are employees too. I often make the mistake where I put so much pressure on the leaders around this employee first methodology that I often forget that the leaders in the companies that I'm running or that I'm a part of are employees as well. So there are times where the employees are not always correct or right. Like, like for example, parenting. There are times where the kid messes up. And the kid triggers us. And it's not our fault as parents. It's not our fault as the authoritative figures here. It's the same situation, I believe, as managers and leaders. And so, what I try to do is if I'm noticing that there's not a consistent change happening, even though we're having the 90 day conversations on the manager side, I want to lean into the manager and say, is there something that the other executives on this team that can support you are not doing? Is there something where the employees are doing? that we need to be thoughtful of and, and and respect that are that's making your your job harder to respect that diversity. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that but but I think we need to remember that leaders are employees as well. <laughs> and there are times when their direct reports are making their job to respect diversity potentially harder than it shooter could be.
0: I think that's a really good point and you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier but like it's the organization's responsibility to prepare our leaders through leadership development and other kinds of trainings to be in these situations to have these conversations. And some of that is like building self-awareness. So when they are triggered in these conversations and they become really hard, how do they respond rather than react? What can they do to like be in service of their people in this case? But also where is the additional support for them? Because this is a really challenging, difficult situation. And even to bring it back to your first point at the very beginning everyone's an individual including our leaders just like their employees they're individuals who bring their own intersectionality and what we find a lot of when we do leadership development work especially is not everyone's had the privilege of having an amazing leader around them as a role model so we bring a lot of our our old stuff to our jobs and we just act out what we think leadership looks and feels like without getting clarity on like what it really is and so I like that idea. And I wonder if you could speak a bit about that around like knowing we have difference in diversity in our culture and it's going to be what helps us grow. What are some of the kind of ways we can prepare and develop our leaders to sit in these leadership roles amongst difference and diversity?
1: This is what I'll say. We need to start by being thoughtful around if the leaders that we have in place should actually be people leaders. And I think we touched on this the last time we talked a little bit. So I'll double click into this piece. I've been pushing very aggressively for this. where inside of departments, I believe there should be two leaders. There should be a project management skill based subject matter based expert that that is there to hold the team accountable. That's there to project manage. That's there for employees to go to and ask questions to get that that subject matter expertise. And then I believe there should be a, a humanistic leader that has the same title same decision-making bandwidth, the same pay, the same authority, but that individual focuses on having career mapping conversations, having one-on-one conversations, understanding and having the diversity conversations, having the therapeutic conversation with are listening and getting feedback and looking at that feedback across all the different one-on-ones and bringing it back to their project manager, co-leader of that department and being thoughtful about that data. And, and making some some nuanced recommendations of decisions that need to change and be adjusted based off of that data. I've been pushing for this very aggressively. I've had a couple companies take me up on it, and, I, and I've done a little bit of uh, individual behind the scenes consulting work to help them put that in place. I'll, I'll just jump, jump to the punchline here. It's expensive. I will admit that it's expensive to have two leaders at the top of a department that have the same title because they're sharing titles. So it'll be you know, a co CMO, like it's the same pace and titles and structure. So it's expensive. I'll admit that, but it's really, really worth it because I talked to the employees six months after three months after they put that in place and the employees feel so much more comfortable going to Sarah, for instance, that's the project management based subject matter leader based expert. They feel so much, they, they know what to go to her for. They don't go to her for anything else and they feel so much more comfortable and the rapport and the relationship is there. And Sarah on the other end, element too, she, she's amazing because so she's like, I actually don't want to be a humanistic-based leader. That's not my comfort zone. I really don't like people and I don't want to say this. I really don't <laughs> like people. I love what I'm doing here. And so it's a win-win and then on the other side, right? So I, I think, and I'll pause there, but I, but I think that's what I personally would start if I was, if I was, if you dropped me down the CEO of a company today and you said, Hey, our leadership is horrible. Like we need to fix this. It's causing significant attrition. It's causing turnover. It's causing dysfunction. That's the first place I would go. I would have a conversation with each director, each VP, each head of the department, each manager. And I would say, do you want to be a people based leader? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And I would define that and say, here are the responsibilities of a people based leader. And here's from what I'm hearing from you, here's what I think you probably more likely are, which is on the other side of leadership. And that doesn't mean you're not a great leader. That doesn't mean you don't deserve to be a leader in this company, but maybe we need to re- readjust and, and shuffle up your role a bit. So I'll pause there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Buddy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's super interesting. We have found a lot in the last year that companies are promoting people from within because they're asking for it or thinking that's what's great for retention. But ultimately they're not necessarily set up or developed or want to be a people leader and it's a totally different skill set and i kind of like how your anecdote is bringing it back to flexibility again for us it's being flexible around the roles and responsibilities in our organization too like not everyone wants to be a people leader sometimes people want to just manage and be subject matter experts in a different way and their skills are really the project management and the moving things along and creating momentum and all of those things So I think that's quite interesting, too, It's like, how can we understand the diverse needs of our leaders and how they want to grow and develop and where they want to grow and develop? It might not be in the humanity space of work. It might be in different different areas. So that's kind of interesting. But I guess what we're both saying is it's super important to prepare your leaders to deal with difference and diversity rather than just throwing them in. Right. Like there needs to be some really thoughtful some thoughtfulness that goes into getting our leaders ready to, to deal with difference. And, diversity. and I'll say
1: one last thing too, if here's something else you can do. So let's say you do that. Another thing you can do is you can be more thoughtful about how you promote leaders. So you go and have that conversation prior to them being a leader. They're saying, no, I, I think, yeah, I think I am a humanistic based leader. I like the definitions and the categories of that leadership responsibility, but maybe they've never done that before. It comes somewhat emotionally natural to them, they're attracted to it, but they've actually never done it, don't just rush to put them in a leadership position. Put them in trainings. Build an internal training internally. Partner them with, with a mentor or a buddy that is, that is a great leader from that humanistic point of view. Like Groom leadership into that, into that role. I think it's a lot harder to groom a people-based leader than it is a project management-based and a task-based leader. I genuinely do. I really, really do. Yeah, the the project management, the administrative part of leadership is very difficult too. But no, the emotional part, the career mapping part, the the skill development part, that's that's very very difficult because you're dealing with you're dealing with so many different emotions and so many different needs and so and, and a diverse set of of desires. Um, yeah, that's harder. Yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm objectively standing on it. That's really yeah, hard. It's really
0: hard. I. I spoke to some leaders this week, actually, about this, and I think this is something interesting and then we can kind of start to wrap it up. But the we move through our career progression, starting off as doers. We don't start off as leaders. We start off as doers and we build up identity and you know value and being someone who does and completes projects and ticks things off lists. And then all of a sudden we're moved into a leadership role where now our job is to be in service of our people. A lot more of like a B space, a sit back, a hold space, be yep. there for our people instead of doing. But we're still employees and we still have to manage up. And so there is still this element of having to do things. Everyone has to, maybe except for our really big C-suite folks. Um, and it's that's really hard to manage. You're constantly flipping contexts. And what is my role in this conversation? And now I need to go back to doing and how do i do that and it's a lot of maturity and a lot of need that needs to be developed in order to be a really successful leader who's in service of their people and can kind of keep the doing and control and manage their own energy really yeah. i guess and the, and
1: the consultants out there the firms the companies the one that you're a part of the universities out here the training programs we need to maybe open back up the books a little bit and say are our programs right now really geared towards both type of leaders? And do we need to redo the the manual, if you will? Do we need to restructure the training? Do we need to be more thoughtful about what is what we have right now really geared towards a 2023 and beyond base leader? And, and is it split into two different directions? And can we be thoughtful about that? The last thing I'll say too on this, C-suite leaders need to Respect the diversity of needs and thoughts of their of their managers and directors as it pertains to if the leader and manager raises their hand and say, "Hey, I need an adjustment of workflow here." Right? You know, you hire me to be a people-based leader. I know I still have some core deliverables on my plate, but I'm not I'm not able to serve my people in the in the in the human part of my role because I'm too tasked with with other initiatives here. I believe C-suite executives need to be able to give their directors and their managers that leeway to make that adjustment, to make that tweak to their workflow, to make that adjustment to their, to their bandwidth, and, and be more open and nuanced about that. So that's another little advice if there's any CEOs or any, any high-level C-suite executives listening.
0: Yeah, how they can actually bring flexibility to it for other people, yeah. too. I love it. Great. Well, thank you so much. This conversation about bringing flexibility to our employee experience and our culture, I feel like we got quite a lot of amazing gems of wisdom. So thank you so much, AJ, for today. It's been lovely to have this conversation with you. We're really grateful to have you on the pod. And we always like to wrap up our episodes with our rapid fire questions. So are you ready to go through some rapid fire questions? Okay, cool. What three words would you use to describe the workplace culture that you'd like to lead?
1: Uh, empathetic, patient, and decisive.
0: Love that. What three words would you use to define the future of work?
1: Mm. HR tech. That's a two, two words, but HR tech, and I can explain if you want diversity. And then, Ooh, Ooh, this is our rapid fire. Um, empathy again.
0: I love it. Okay, great. Okay. From our eight essential human leadership qualities, which one quality is your superpower or your strength and why? Yep. Which one is your superpower?
1: Probably empathy. Probably empathy.
0: Okay. Say a little more about that. Yeah.
1: Probably empathy because very similar to the conversation today. Every single one of my leaders that I that report to me or that I work with, every single employee, every partner, they they'll tell you personally the reason why I think we've had a lot of success is because I'm very empathetic to the way they want to get things done. I'm mm. very flexible with with how they how they execute. I'm very empathetic to their ideas and their thoughts, and and I test things out before I judge them. There's many factors of empathy that I think can connect to like pure business. So empathy.
0: Okay, great. Which of those eight qualities, which one is your development area or your stretch?
1: Mm, ooh, this is hard. because I'm great at all these. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I would probably say patience with a lot of projects going on at one time and a lot of high expectations for everyone and everything. Patience is tough for me.
0: Yeah, that's my stretch ooh. as well. So I'm with you. <laughs> okay, great. What is your most treasured spot outside of work? Hmm.
1: On the, yeah, probably just on the couch watching Netflix with the wife.
0: Love it. Great. Is there a person or a brand that you'd like to shine a light on today?
1: Oh, I'll give from a company, I'll give from a employee experience type element. I'll give an example and I'll give from like just something I'm, impressed by. So I'll do the latter. Yeah, do the latter first. So on the company side, there's something I'm impressed by. There's a, there's a, the CEO by the name of Ronnie, Ronnie Fyde. He runs Kith. Are you familiar with that at all? Uh, no.
0: Really high level
1: um streetwear brand. Um, he does a lot of collaborations with like every big brand you can think of, every major athlete you can think of. Really, really high level tasteful clothing. I just love the way he goes about his collaborations. Obviously with my collective, I do a ton of partnerships. So a lot of the themes and how I I frame and structure my partnership deals honestly are driven from Ronnie Kiss framework, um, uh, with Kith. So so that's interesting. Ronnie Feige framework with Kith. I said Ronnie Kith. <laughs> on the on the people more pull experience side, um, I talk about this all the time. Very underrated. Gary Vaynerchuk with VaynerX is incredibly incredibly underrated. A lot of people don't do like a deep dive into like his business acumen in his people leadership acumen, he put he put a a chief hard officer, Claude Silver, in. that was literally the guiding point of a lot of the work that I also do now. Her role, I actually that was a framework of when I was ahead of people in for about five years. I kind of utilized that as well. Because she did not have a traditional HR background whatsoever, so so that probably is my answer there. They're doing a, they're doing a lot of great work on the people side.
0: Interesting. Okay, thank you. I might do a deep dive on that yeah. a little bit now. All right, last question. Arguably the okay. hardest. If you had to pick one song that represented who you are as a leader, what would it be?
1: Ooh, that is hard. I'm horrible at like the titles of songs.
0: You can sing it for us if you want.
1: Yeah, Viva La Vida. There it is. That's an amazing song. I don't know if it really defines or categorizes my leadership styles or or but but it's a great song. Cool.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, AJ, for the rapid fire and for the conversation. It's been lovely to have you here today. And thank you everyone that listened. Thanks for being here for another episode of reimagining work from within. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts every other week, and we'll see you again soon.